Okay. All right. If you are uh, welcome to make your way back to your seats, I want to commend you for starting your week off right, for starting your year off right by coming together with God's people to worship Him, to rehearse the gospel and hear the proclamation of His word. It is uh, my privilege to speak with you on this, the first Sunday in 2022. I think officially uh, Youth Pastor Sunday would have been last week. It's, it's the Sunday between Christmas and New Year's. So, oh, it's different this year? Okay. okay. It was last week, but uh, I have never been a youth pastor. I have no aspirations to be a youth pastor. I have all the heart and sympathy for our youth minister and how uh, he deals with my kids. Because I have four teenagers, one of which has graduated from the youth department. Three, which uh, I'm going to tell you, it's like their favorite thing. It is the highlight of their week. And uh, so I'm excited about that. And they had a great time on uh, New Year's Eve. I had a fun time New Year's Eve. I, we did stay up past midnight, and uh, we still, uh, my, my downfall about the lock-in was that I had to pick my kids up at 8 a.m., and I was not excited about staying up as late as I did and then still having to get up to come pick up my kids, so, uh, but they had a blast. So this morning, I'm going to just give you a little idea of where we're going. We're going to talk about some history. If you are a history buff, you may enjoy part of this. If you do not like history, you'll probably zone out for the first few minutes. Uh, but we're going to talk about the history and origins of the new year. And we're going to talk about New Year's resolutions, uh, why they can be good, why they can be bad, and some uh, recommendations on how to make them. And finally, we're going to look at God's Word and take some cues from the Apostle Paul on what a great resolution for 2022 might be. Civilizations have been counting years for millennia. The, for many cultures, the start of the new year was aligned. They had to figure out before they had a calendar how to align the new year. And so they would align it with the vernal equinox. Uh, for those not sure what the vernal equinox is, that's the spring equinox. That is when the earth in its rotation around the sun, so you get history and science this morning, as it's in its rotation around the sun, the sun passes uh, from the, its angle against the earth from the southern hemisphere, and the equinox is when it is directly above the equator. And you can see those words lined up in there. And when it moves to the northern hemisphere. And so that's when our spring begins, when it starts to warm up because the sun is shining more on the northern hemisphere, which is where we are, uh, instead of the southern hemisphere. And so that be would be their, their beginning of the new year, sometimes the first moon into the equinox. because, uh, And that would be where, when the days uh, continue to get longer. This is around March 20th for us, but our modern new year was established actually by Julius Caesar in 46 BC. The Roman calendar originally had 10 months, and it was Pompilius, another Roman emperor, that added the months of Januarius and Februarius 
to the Roman calendar and taking it from 304 days to the 365 we have today. And so when Julius Caesar established what we know as the Julian calendar, not the Gregorian calendar that we today live off of, but the Julian calendar at the time, he picked January and January 1st to be the new year, to the start of the new year. And this is in part because Janus, who is the Roman god for which January gets its namesake, was depicted as a two-faced god looking, uh, able to simultaneously look into the past and then look into the future. The Jewish calendar, as the Jews were there in the first century or, or near it that Julius Caesar establishes, they still, even today, Orthodox Jews celebrate Rosh Hashanah, which means the head of the year, and that is their Jewish New Year, uh, usually in September, October, depending on how the calendars align. The Chinese still have their own year, but the majority of the world today lives with January 1st as the new year. As Catholicism continued to grow in Rome, they did not want to buy into the Romans' way of doing things. And for many years, uh, the Catholics looked to the Annunciation as the new year. And so now that is when the, is supposed to parallel when the angel came to Mary to announce to her that she would become with child. And that was, so they tracked back, they figured that happened nine months before the birth of Jesus, and since at that point in time the birth of Jesus had been established as December 25th, the Annunciation falls on March 25th, nine months before that. So that's when they would, for many years, celebrate the new year. Now we know that Jesus was not born on December 25th. We have a lot of evidence, have no evidence to say that he was, and a lot of evidence to the contrary. But and so now they're Christians throughout the years. Some have uh, avoided New Year's celebration because of its pagan roots. Others, uh, at least not participating in the revelry. But we know there's no spiritual significance to January 1st. So it doesn't, it, but it doesn't mean that there's no value for us to have a time in our lives as we reflect on the past and as we look forward to the future. And perhaps the most popular tradition connected with our modern New Year's is the practice of making New Year's resolutions. So by show of hands, how many this year have made a New Year's resolution? Okay. How many of you uh, on this January 2nd, have already failed on your New Year's resolution? Anyone? Okay, uh, well, good. Uh, the practice of making New Year's resolutions goes back 4,000 years to the Babylonians. And uh, now for them, uh, at least in my research, most of their resolutions were really around paying off debts, and in particularly, returning borrowed farm equipment. So, uh, I'll need to bring that post hole digger back over at some point in time. 
I should make that on my New Year's resolution. The, uh, so, and they, but these promises were made to their gods uh, at the time, the, the gods that they served. Similarly, in the time of Julius Caesar, the Romans would often sacrifice to their deity and make uh, promises of good conduct for their new year. Uh, in the Middle Ages, knights would take the annual peacock vow, and this is where they would put their hands on the head of either a live or roasted peacock and renew their vow to be chivalrous. But the practice has changed over the years, and early Protestants joined in. John Wesley, who's the founder of modern Methodism, he is credited with the idea of the covenant renewal service also known as the watch night service. And this is when, instead of participating in the even secular revelry that is New Year's Eve, they would come to a New Year's Eve service and they'd have readings of scripture and singing of hymns and uh, do this to ring in the new year. And these services often involved praying and introspection and making resolutions. The Puritans added weight to this practice as well. They urged young people to skip all that revelry and instead meditate on the past and on the year to come. And out of this introspection, they were, there would be vows to fight against their habitual sins or to make better use of their talents or treat others with Christian charity. Perhaps the most notable of these uh, historic resolutions falls to Jonathan Edwards. Uh, many of us probably more familiar, most familiar with his famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. But coming out of his graduation at Yale for the next two years, he would write his resolutions. There were 70 resolutions that he wrote for his own life. And these were pr primarily spiritual commitments. There were some, uh, some related to physical commitments as well. That, and then he would even reminded himself that he should read over them once a week. I'm going to give you four of these resolutions that he made. There were 70 of them. This is uh, four, five, six, and seven there. He said he was resolved never to do any manner of thing, whether in soul or body, less or more, but what tends to the glory of God. So he made sure he was resolved that everything that he would do would tend to the glory of God. Uh, resolved never to lose one moment of time but improve it the most profitable way I possibly can. It's pretty wordy and very puritanical in some of these. Resolve to live with all my might while I do live. found this one fascinating. Resolve never to do anything which I should be afraid to do if it were the last hour of my life. Resolve to do, resolved never to do anything which I should be afraid to do if it were the last hour of my life. Now, these resolutions differ significantly what is most popular in American culture today. Recent surveys revealed the most common resolutions today are as follows. Eat healthier. Exercise more. Lose weight. Save more money or pay off debt. Learn a new skill or hobby. Travel more. Watch less TV. Read more. Find a new job. Volunteer with a charity, start your own business, quit smoking, drink less alcohol, or spend more time 
with family and friends. These surveys show us that approximately 40% of Americans today make some form of New Year's resolution. 80% of those will fail their resolution by February 1st. 8%, yeah, 8% of those will make it to the end of the year. Uh, and uh, I don't know that I've ever been successful in carrying a New Year's resolution to the end of the year. I'd expect Christians would make many of these same resolutions, but maybe a few more, such as maybe read the Bible every day, pray every day, or keep a prayer list, pray more for others, make church attendance a habit, evangelize more, love your neighbor. I've certainly made these types of resolutions, secular and sacred. Uh, Several years ago for me, personally, I pivoted in my way of thinking about resolutions and skipped the idea of making resolutions on January 1st uh, and put them more on my birthday. So when my birthday rolls around, I want to reflect on my year past and think about are there any goals, any resolutions I might make uh, towards the new year and more personal to me. Now, if you are not in the 40% that have made a resolution this year, you shouldn't think that you've already missed out, that you've missed your opportunity. You can make a resolution any day. A resolution meaning a commitment, a vow, a promise, a goal. We can make these on any day of the year. When we do, when we make these vows, when we make these promises, these resolutions, I want to look at the Bible and give us a little bit of wisdom on some good parameters, some ground rules to to wrap around our resolutions. I'm going to give you two main points on that today. First off, when we make resolutions, we should be resolving with humility. You need to check your motives. Paul writes to us in Philippians. Chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. He says this. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. So when we look back at these common resolutions... You know, those top three, eat healthier, exercise more, lose weight. We're going to think about what is our motive for making those types of resolutions. Have some sort of ground rules here, some check marks to think about that. Now, if you uh, you are wanting to lose weight so that uh, other people will look at you and be impressed by your figure, your stamina, whatever it is, then perhaps there is, there is an impure motive associated with that, right? So we need to check about our motives. Or what if, but if you're looking at strictly thinking uh, you want to improve your health so you can be around for your kids and family longer, or that you might live a more productive life, including your service to the King of Kings, then maybe you have fewer motives. 
whatever it is, whatever it is, this resolution that you have made in your life, uh, want to think about why you've made that resolution and what is the goal and purpose behind it. We remember what Paul told Timothy about exercise. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 and 8, he says this. He says, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So we, it is okay, there is some value in, in exercise and in eating healthier, but what is more important is godliness. And so we need to make sure that when we focus on, that we get a right balance, strike a right balance in our life, on what we focus on. Outside of these resolutions that focus on health, it's not an uncommon for us to make resolutions that impact our financial well-being. For these, we want to check our motives against James. James gives us some good advice around making these sort of resolutions. In James chapter 4, beginning in verse 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So we need to check our humility as we, make our, as we make our resolutions, as we make our promises, our goals, our vows, and commitments. Maybe you want to vow, make this resolution to get a new job or to do better at your job or have a side hustle or whatever it is. Are you doing that to improve your bottom line, so you can buy more luxury for yourself? Or is this about how you can be more generous with others and with God and with your resources? So we resolve in humility. We check our motives. Secondly, we want to resolve independence. In dependence, not independence. In dependence. So you're writing these down this morning. Check your means. How do you intend to go about and accomplish what you have set your mind to do? Psalm 127, 1 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. When we set our mind to do something, how much of that is relying on ourselves and how much of that is relying on on God's work within us. Back in Philippians chapter 2, Paul continues to write, verse 12, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And here it is important for it. It is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. There's some worldly wisdom, and for those who uh, may have to do this with your career or jobs, about setting goals and around making smart goals. And smart is an acrostic 
for things that are specific, measurable, achievable, relevant, and time-bound. This is, not origin- this is not original with me. You can look that up, pop that into Google, smart goals, and think about those. Specific, measurable, achievable, relevant, and time-bound. Now, while I don't want to suggest throwing these parameters out, I would also su- remind us that as believers, as Christians, we have been gifted with supernatural empowerment through the Holy Spirit. So when we set the spiritual goals in our lives, we can go against the grain of what is achievable. Because the challenge in resolving independence goes back to our motive and humility. We don't want to look back at our year and say, look what I have done. But no, we look back and we say, look what the Lord has done. This is is in part exactly why I believe that salvation is 100% entirely all of God. There is no place for me to glory in my salvation. I do not come to God and say, how lucky you are to have me. But I come in that humility and independence and depending on him and what he provides for me. Now, don't get me wrong. I've been guilty of taking credit in my life uh, for many things that were accomplished solely by God's grace in my life. So we need to constantly tune our hearts to sing his grace, as the old hymn would say. We need to recognize God's unmerited favor in our lives. If you serve and you do these things for the praise of men, then you have all the reward that you have potential to receive. This is exactly what Jesus had to say to the Pharisees and their fasting. Fasting, again, which is another discipline often uh, related to the new year. Many year, many would start out the new year with a fast. There are many churches today that start out with a corporate fast of some sort. But Jesus, when he's talking to the Pharisees, says this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 16 to 18. The words will be on the screen here. He says, when you fast, and he's talking to his disciples and those around him, he says, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who is in secret will reward you. The question is, what is the reward that you are seeking? If you are seeking the reward of the praise of men, because sometimes in our goals, whether... When I think of professional goals in in my career, I like to be celebrated by my peers, by my coworkers. There is sometimes in me that selfish motive of wanting to be celebrated, wanting the praise of men. In our spiritual goals that we set, do I want to appear spiritual to others? Probably do. We need to be careful to check our motives 
And then our reliance, our dependence, who, what are we depending on? Are we a- accomplishing things? I mean, I, I'm going to confess to you this morning, we're not in confession time, but I confess that I have stood up here on Sundays and I have led worship in my own strength and not thinking or relying on God's working in me. Now, God did still see fit to work in me, and I need to understand that all of the gifts that I might have been given come from God. They are not of my own doing. So when we do, when we do work, that we would seek to see Christ working in us. So in our resolutions today, I would, I would recommend humility and dependence. Maybe you didn't make a resolution, and I'm going to challenge you this morning to make one. I'm going to challenge us as a corporate church to make a resolution this morning. And to do that, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians. We know that the uh, verse and chapter divisions in our Bible are not inspired in any way. They do help us find certain things. So really, we're going to end in chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians, but we're going to start in verse 26 of chapter 1. And this is Paul writing to the church at Corinth. He begins, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. Paul has the gift of encouragement, just trying to build them up here. Okay, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And here's that humility again. Whatever we're going to get at here, he's at least laying the groundwork and foundation that what God is doing is not for humans to boast. And because of him, you, because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became us, to us, wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification and redemption, so that it is written, let no one who boasts, or let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And I, Paul, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was in with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and in power. Paul came to them. He was relying. His came not. This is not about Paul and who Paul is. This is about boasting only in Christ. He says, I came to know Christ alone. And then he says, I didn't use all this fancy words of wisdom to try to show off how smart of a guy I was. But I came to be, to, 
to demonstrate, he says, in demonstration of the Spirit and empowers. So his dependence was on Christ. Now we're going to zero in real quick on verse 2. Chapter 2, verse 2. He says, for I decided. Now, that word decided, this is our, I'm reading from the English Standard Version of the Bible. I don't know what translation you have before you. If you have the King James in front of you, you might see, as I grew up with the King James, uh, determined. I determined to know nothing. You have the NIV, you would have the word resolved. So this morning, I believe Paul is telling us what his resolution is. And this is going to be our resolution today. For I decided, determined, resolved to know nothing except Jesus Christ. I want to put this in our vernacular. As our church would say this. Paul would say, I resolved to make Jesus essential. Jesus is first. To know Jesus and Jesus only. To put Jesus on the throne of my heart, the throne of our life. To make Jesus essential. I remember thinking a year ago uh, about the phrase, they say that hindsight is 2020, and I'm just glad that 2020 is hindsight. Right? 2020 was not a fun year. 2021 wasn't really a picnic either. And it is uh, been hard. It's been, it's been a difficult year, but for us, there's been some highlights in 2021. For those who received uh, the letter, uh, the email from our pastor this past week or on, on uh Friday went out. If you didn't, you should, you should get to that. Uh, but talking about some of the highlights of our 2021 as a church, and one of those is our rolling out a ref refreshed mission and core values. And those were not just meant for 2021, but these are meant to shape the trajectory of where we are going as a church over the next year, decade, century, millennia whatever it is that the Lord would see fit for us. And it rolls out like this. Fellowship Baptist Church exists to make Jesus essential in the hearts, lives, and homes of everyone within our reach through the gospel proclaimed, understood, and practiced. This mission is fleshed out in our core values, that we are rooted in the gospel. We believe the gospel is not the runway by which we take off into Christianity and, and one day land in heaven. Instead, it is the joy that carries us every step of the way. We are, we believe, core value that we grow better together. We believe that following Jesus, that is making Jesus essential, was never meant to happen in isolation, but through the community uh, where iron can sharpen iron, and you're going to hear about D groups more and more as uh, this year progresses. Third, third core value: we are radical in generosity, and, and this is modeled in our giving prayer. We recite every week that all that we have, we have received from God, and we want to be faithful stewards of our resources, our time, 
relationships, possessions, money, to show that our Father is generous. Fourth, we believe every member is a missionary. Wherever we work, where we live, where we play, therein lies our mission field. And then our final core value that everyone is value. Every person is created in the image of God with value, dignity, and worth and should be treated as such. Then every person that comes to Christ has been gifted by the Spirit for the good of the body, for the good of this body, and bring value to our church. So as we look forward to 2022, I believe God is going to do some big things for fellowship. And this, in particular, is a monumental year for us as we will celebrate 50 years of gospel faithfulness in this community. And we celebrate those who 50 years ago gathered for the first time uh, as Fellowship Baptist Church. And in this theme of growing better better together, we will be launching those D groups or discipleship groups. And you'll begin to learn more about these and how they can make a tremendous impact, not only in the growing better together part of our core values, but how those, as we grow better together, how that spills over into the other core values. So as we close today, the challenge to you is to consider renewing your resolve to make Jesus essential in 2022. Perhaps you are here this morning and you've never resolved to make Jesus essential, that you have never recognized your inability to save yourself and to turn to Jesus for rescue. Today truly is the day of salvation. This time I'm going to invite Brent, Pastor Brent, as long as some of our deacons come on down front as we sing in response. Uh, These men would love to pray with you to answer any questions you have about making Jesus essential in your heart, in your life, and in your home. You know, there's another New Year's Eve tradition that is observed by some, although I have actually never been in a place where this happened. I mean, it is the singing of an old Scottish song at the stroke of midnight. Auld Lang Syne was a poem written by Robert Burns in the late 1700s, and it loosely is translated for old time's sake. And this morning, we're going to close not by singing Auld Lang Syne, but we're going to borrow the tune. And we're going to borrow the tune, and we're going to sing about making Jesus essential. See, Paul was resolved to know nothing except Jesus. We are resolved as a church to make Jesus essential. May we sing out this morning, all glory be to Christ. You stand as we sing.